We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 516 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Monday, February 27th, 2023. It is the next to last day of February. It is the penultimate day of February. It is the day before the start of the NFL Scouting Combine at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis, Indiana. You know, the Combine is not just an event at which NFL draft prospects get evaluated. Uh, the Combine also is a gathering of NFL executives and coaches and agents. And these executives and coaches and agents, uh, they drink <laughs> and they talk. And then they drink some more and they talk some more. And there are all kinds of deals that get discussed and all kinds of gossip that get gossiped. And so if you are a Commanders fan like me, you have to wonder, what will be the gossip? What will be the word? What will be the buzz? What will be the scuttlebutt at the Combine regarding the Commanders ownership situation? Hello and welcome to this Monday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. I hope that you had a nice weekend, but if you over the weekend uh, got confused by all that was being reported about the sale of the commanders, uh, you are forgiven. There was a lot out there. It did get confusing. And the truth is, right now, it feels like it may be 50-50. It may be a toss-up, whether the Danny, whether co-owner and co-CEO Dan Snyder actually ends up selling majority ownership of the Commanders. Coming up next segment is a special guest, a most relevant guest, uh, the man who ignited the reporting of the last few days with a big-time report on Friday evening, business journalist Josh Kosman of the New York Post. Uh, I had Josh on the podcast a little more than a month ago. He is back for this episode of the pod to discuss his latest reporting on the sale of the commanders, including Dan Snyder having prevented Amazon founder Jeff Bezos from bidding on the commanders. Uh, what exactly 
has been going on with Jeff Bezos. Josh Kosman has intel on that. Where does the NFL stand in all of this, especially with the findings of the Mary Jo White investigation still having not been announced? And bottom line, is Dan Snyder going to sell majority ownership of the commanders or not? All of this and a lot more with business journalist Josh Kosman of the New York Post next segment. Prepare to be educated and informed on the sale of the Commanders. Also on the show, we'll talk college basketball. Busy weekend, big win for Maryland on Sunday afternoon. A 75-59 win over number 21 Northwestern at Xfinity Center in College Park, Maryland. Uh, Georgetown fell to a pathetic 2-17 and in the Big East. I mean, think about that for a moment. 2-17 and in the Big East with an 88-68 loss to number 20 Providence at Capital One Arena on Sunday afternoon. What is up with Wahoo Wah? Number six, Virginia, a second consecutive loss in another shaky performance, a 71-63 loss at North Carolina on Saturday evening. And Virginia Tech's tough season continued. The Hokies fell to 6-12 and in the ACC with an 81-65 loss at Duke on Saturday night. Speaking of tough seasons, uh, I'll also talk Capitals and Wizards. Uh, Each team played two games over the weekend. The Caps did win on Saturday afternoon, a 6-3 win over the New York Rangers at Capital One Arena, snapping the Caps' streak of six consecutive regulation losses. The Caps' worst such streak since October 2003. But then on Sunday afternoon, the Caps got smashed. A 7-4 loss at the Buffalo Sabres. And for the Wizards, uh, two losses over the weekend. Uh, Friday night, a 115-109 loss to the New York Knicks at Capital One Arena as the Wizards in their first game in eight days due to the NBA All-Star break blew a 19-point second quarter lead. And then on Sunday afternoon, a 102-82 loss at the Chicago Bulls. Yes, a 20-point loss at the Bulls, although the Wiz were without two starters in Chris Dapps, Porzingis, and Monte Morris. Better news for the occupants of Audi Field. A shout-out to the XFL's D.C. Defenders and a shout-out to Major League Soccer's D.C. United. Uh, the Defenders are 2-0 and and United is 1-0. and uh, The Defenders won at the Vegas Vipers 18-6 on Saturday night. And United, in its regular season opener, beat Toronto FC 3-2 at Audi Field on Saturday night. So we at least had some good news in Washington, D.C. area sports over the last few days. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Yasin on the commander's new assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator, Eric Bieniemy. This is the same Yasin who a few weeks ago wrote that Pro Orioles email regarding the Masson dispute. Uh, Yassine, you angered a lot of people <laughs> with that email. I got some very good emails in response to Yassine's Masson email. Uh, thank you to Mike and Matthias and Jason in Pennsylvania for their very good response emails to Yassine's Masson email. Anyway, here is Yassine on Eric Bienemy. I have a lot of second guessing on the recent hire of Eric Bienemy because I cannot figure out why Bienemy hasn't gotten a head coaching job. I do know this. The NFL treats black head coaches very poorly. 
The racial bias of NFL owners is real, and it's unfixable no matter what the commissioner does. Anyway, keeping Ron Rivera for 2023 is a waste of time. I did not want the enemy to come to my team under a major ownership change because he might be put into a position to fail. The enemy should have stayed with the Chiefs as their offensive coordinator or should have gone to Philly to become the Eagles' offensive coordinator. Those positions, especially the one in Philly, would have put him in a better position to climb the NFL coaching ladder. I want to point out that the hype surrounding Eric Bieniemy is out of control. <laughs> this is the most hyped offensive coordinator hire that Washington has had since Joe Gibbs hired Al Saunders in 2006. Remember when the local media was hyped for Saunders bringing his 700-page playbook to help out the Redskins' offense? How did that work out? Not as well as expected. While Eric Bieniemy is more than qualified to be an NFL head coach, let alone assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator for the commanders, the players on the current roster and the talent evaluation from the front office matter. The commanders have a lot of work to do this offseason if they want to improve the offense under Bieniemy. However, as long as Ron Rivera is the head coach and CEO of the team, I truly believe that the team's ceiling is low. Anyway, thank you for reading this email, and I wish you continued success on your podcast, and congrats on 500-plus episodes. Uh, thank you for that, Yasin. Much appreciated. Uh, here's the thing with Eric Bieniemy: There's no guarantee that him becoming the Philadelphia Eagles offensive coordinator was even an option. Heck, there's no guarantee that the Kansas City Chiefs definitely wanted him back as offensive coordinator. Eric Bieniemy in this 2023 NFL coaching cycle interviewed for two jobs, the Indianapolis Colts head coaching job and the commander's offensive coordinator job. That's it. We don't know if the Eagles had any interest in Bieniemy. And with the Chiefs, uh, they on Friday afternoon officially announced the promotion of Matt Nagy to offensive coordinator. And Nagy has been talked about as potentially succeeding Andy Reid as Chiefs head coach. Eric Bieniemy last offseason was re-signed by the Chiefs via a one-year contract. Maybe the Chiefs would have re-signed Bieniemy again had he not left for the Commanders, but it stands out to me that Nagy is being talked about as Reid's potential successor when I don't remember that being the case with Bieniemy. Uh, Friday evening, February 17th, right as the news of Eric Bieniemy agreeing to join the Commanders was breaking, NFL insider Albert Breer of the MMQB tweeted that the Chiefs' plan to replace the enemy was to promote senior assistant and quarterbacks coach Matt Nagy to offensive coordinator as, according to Breer, quote, Nagy's got a real shot whenever the time comes to be Andy Reid's successor with the Chiefs, end quote. Why wasn't that reporting about Eric Bieniemy prominently out there at any point? Why wasn't Bieniemy talked about as potentially succeeding Reed? And so if the Chiefs preferred Nagy over Bieniemy, then it may not be a given that he could have just gone back to the Chiefs. My friend Burgundy Blog on Twitter had a great phrasing of Andy Reed talking up Eric Bieniemy as Reed did. Is this an endorsing or an unloading? We don't know. There's information in this scenario that we do not have. As I have said, I'm glad that the commanders got Eric Bieniemy, but I'm going into this with eyes wide open. To me, with the commanders getting Bieniemy, you can be both excited about him being with the team and also curious about his situation. You know, one approach does not preclude the other. 
Email from Thelonious Funk, who is, you might say, not a fan of Commander's Head Coach Ron Rivera, who I on this podcast, of course, have called Don Ron because he is the godfather. He is the Don of Washington football operations. But Thelonious has a twist on that nickname, writes Thelonious. Well, Con Ron was able to hire Eric Bieniemy. I am really sad for Bieniemy. It's a shame that he has to settle for and attach himself to this sinking ship. Hopefully, he will shine next season, but it won't look good for him when the entire staff gets replaced by new ownership. Maybe one season is not enough time for the reverse car wash to affect the enemy, but this hire reeks of desperation for both Ron Rivera and Eric Bieniemy. I am hopeful that Coach EB will find a way to begin to develop a young quarterback, whether that's Sam Howell or someone else. I like Brian Robinson Jr., but the offense should be predicated on using Antonio Gibson more. He is the most versatile player on the offense. Remember position flex? Maybe Coach EB will also find a way to make Curtis Samuel an actual threat. I guess we shall see. Uh, Thank you for the email, Thelonious. And of course, we remember position flex. Position flex. Yes, thank you, Ron. Position flex. Uh, interesting that Thelonious mentioned both running back Antonio Gibson and receiver Curtis Samuel. Each guy is entering a contract season. Uh, the 2023 season will be the fourth and final season of Gibson's rookie contract and will be the third and final season of Samuel's three-year unrestricted free agent contract that he signed with Washington in March 2021. Uh, Gibson is a receiver turned running back. Samuel is a running back turned receiver. Uh, each guy has the skill set with which he could thrive with Eric Bieniemy running the commander's offense. Like when you think about Kansas City Chiefs style skill position players, you think of guys who are fast and diverse. Well, Gibson and Samuel are fast and diverse. They can inflict damage via pass catching and rushing. Uh, although Gibson has not become the pass catching threat that we hoped he would become when Washington took him in the third round of the 2020 NFL draft out of Memphis. Antonio Gibson, over his three NFL regular seasons, has 124 receptions for 894 yards and five touchdowns, 7.21 yards per reception. It's not like he has been a non factor as a pass catcher, but this idea that Gibson was going to be Washington's version of Christian McCaffrey, remember that? Uh, you know, that hasn't exactly happened. Although, in fairness to Gibson, uh, Washington, over his three NFL seasons, has had a bit of a quarterback problem. Well, if you have a problem of having been the victim of someone else's negligence, or if someone who you care about has the problem of having been the victim of someone else's negligence, always know that the law firm of Paulson and Nace is there for you. If you have a case, you should contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace. It is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases, offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Call 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace treats its clients with respect and dignity and wants what is best for the firm's clients. Paulson and Nace will treat you, your family, and your situation with the care and expertise that you deserve. Uh, Paulson and Nace is excellent at what it does. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. Heck, this past July, Paulson and Nace won a case for which the United States government must pay nearly one point eight million dollars. Paulson and Nace took on the U.S. government and won. 
If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit PaulsonandNace.com. That's PaulsonandNace.com. And don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let the family of Paulson and Nace take care of your family. Well, the Commanders on Friday afternoon announced having signed linebacker David Mayo and running back Jonathan Williams to one-year contract extensions, but I think that it's safe to say that that announcement was not the biggest Commanders item from the last few days. Uh, We, over the last few days, have had a lot out there on the sale of the Commanders, including the Washington Post late night on Saturday night reporting that Houston Rockets owner Tillman Fertitta is involved in the bidding on the Commanders, although he is, quote, not believed to be a frontrunner to purchase the franchise, end quote. Uh, Fertitta's bid for the Washington Post was estimated to be slightly above $5.5 billion. But leading the way on the reporting on the sale of the Commanders in recent days was what came out on Friday evening from business journalist Josh Kosman of the New York Post. Kosman reported that Amazon founder Jeff Bezos has been denied from participating in the bidding for the Commanders by Commanders co-owner and co-CEO Dan Snyder. Quote, Bezos was prevented by Snyder from entering the private auction, though the Amazon founder wanted to participate, sources said. End quote. Kosman also reported that Bezos has been working with that well-connected investment firm, the New York-based Allen & Company, for months, as opposed to having just recently hired the firm, as had been indicated in multiple reports this past Thursday. Kosman also reported that bids that had been submitted for the commanders had fallen, quote, far short of owner Dan Snyder's $6 billion cutoff, end quote. And Kosman also reported that, quote, a decision on whether Snyder will finally walk away from the team he rooted for as a child is expected by the annual owners meeting that begins March 26th, sources said, end quote. Uh, The NFL's annual league meeting will take place from March 26th through the 29th in Phoenix, Arizona. I am very pleased to welcome back to the Al Galdi podcast right now, business journalist Josh Kosman of the New York Post. You can follow Josh on Twitter at Josh Kosman, which is spelled K-O-S-M-A-N. Hey, Josh, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Glad to be here, Al. Yeah, good to have you back on. Uh, Before we get into the details of your latest reporting on the sale of the Commanders, let's just bottom line this, you know, with the caveat that things could change. Do you believe that Dan Snyder is going to sell majority ownership of the Commanders in the coming weeks or months? Well, I want to be careful not to predict and just to basically stick with what I know. Um, What I would say is that we're at a crossroads now. Um, his attempt to sell the, sell the team at a minimum price of $6 billion to anyone not named Jeff Bezos has failed. So he has a choice to make. He could sell the team for less than $6 billion. Um, looks like the best bid is about five and a half. So he could do that. Or 
he could pivot and turn and sell to Bezos. We know now, uh, especially after the last week or so with our own reporting, and it's now been confirmed by The Athletic, and there was the Washington Post story during the week, too, that hinted at it, that Bezos is definitely wants to buy the commanders and has been there for two months trying to get into the auction. So Bezos is there. Um, the kind of rumors or stories that we saw over the last few months that Bezos isn't interested were all you know, not true. And uh, he does have the option to turn to Bezos. So he could sell the team for less than $6 billion. He could sell to Bezos or he can hold on to the team. And any, any of those three could happen. The item from your report on Friday evening that got the most attention, of course, was Dan Snyder having prevented Jeff Bezos from bidding on the commanders, despite Jeff having wanted to participate. Was the bidding that you were referring to the initial round of bidding for which there was a deadline of this past December 23rd? Yes. Um, so that would take us back to December. But also, he has tried to get back into the auction since and also been locked out. So it refers to December, but takes you right up until now. Okay. Is there reason to think that Dan Snyder in a later round of bidding might allow Jeff Bezos into the bidding? Well, we'll see. Um, we're, we're now, last week, we're supposed to be best offers. And the offers were not what he wanted. He, he said he wanted a minimum of $6 billion. He did not get it. So, and, and the Washington Post during the week, to their credit, reported that Bezos had hired Allen and Co. as his banker. Now, what they didn't report, and we reported over the weekend, was he actually hired them a few months ago. This is not new, but it is accurate that he's hired Allen and Co. Um, I think the reason that the, you know, that the Washington, you, that story appeared in the Washington Post, I don't know, and the Washington Post has great reporters, including in the sports section, but I assume that that probably came from Bezos's camp, as Bezos owns the Washington Post, and it was a message they wanted to send both to Dan Snyder and to the other NFL owners to say, don't believe that I'm not here. I'm here, I'm ready to bid, and look, I'm going to put pressure on you, Dan, to sell to me. And now what happens from here, we'll see. I mean, that you know, Bezos has laid down the last card. That was a key item that you had in your report on Friday evening. Jeff Bezos has been working with this investment firm, Allen and Company, for months, as opposed to having just recently hired the firm, as had been indicated in multiple reports this past Thursday. So does that mean that this idea that Jeff Bezos had been lurking in the background of the bidding, not wanting to get in on the bidding until later in the process, was wrong? That, in fact, Jeff Bezos has wanted to be in on the bidding for the commanders from the get-go? You know, it's, it's, I don't think it's a clear yes or no. He, he did want to enter the bidding early. However, I also think that he may have wanted to see how this process would develop because he doesn't want to bid against himself, and he clearly is the favorite. So now knowing that the best bid is 5.5, you would think he could bid $6 billion, and if, if Snyder's willing to sell, he'll get the team for $6 billion. If he made the best offer two months ago, Snyder might have said, hey, uh, I want seven or eight billion, which is what was being reported. Now there's no reason for Bezos to pay that. So I, he was locked out of the auction, but I think this also played a little into what Bezos wanted to happen. But it's very tricky because being locked out of the process is not what he wanted. 
you had a great quote in your piece. You know where I'm going with this. A source yes. closely watching the sale of the commander said of Dan Snyder and the team, quote, he's an ass and he may not want to give it up, end quote. I mean, what'd you think of that quote when you got it? Yeah, well, I, I think that is a lot of the way a lot of people in NFL circles, meaning including bankers and sports industry experts, I think that's the way they view Snyder. Um, and, and yeah, it was a good quote, um, but I think, I think that is, it didn't feel to me to be a complete pot shop because I've heard similar stuff from other people and I'm sure you have too. So, um, I think that's the way people look at it. And, um, you know, if I had to guess and it's a guess, I think Bezos really doesn't want, excuse me, Snyder really doesn't want to sell to Bezos and he may try to hold on to the team. And then, then that, then that puts the NFL in an interesting spot. Do they force them to sell or not? Uh, yes, it does. We're talking about the sale of the Commanders with business journalist Josh Cosman of the New York Post. Now, of course, lurking over the sale of the Commanders is this Mary Jo White investigation that was launched over a year ago now, and I've got to think is done. And so you say, okay, if the investigation is done, then the NFL must know the findings of the investigation. Is the NFL holding on to those findings as like an ultimate trump card to force Dan Snyder to sell the commanders? Could it be that the investigation exonerates Dan? Do you have any sense on if the NFL has the findings of the Mary Jo White investigation? I I wish I did. I I don't. I, I, I have no idea. Um, but it's the elephant in the room. Um, I do think that if, if we go on the probably good guesswork that the Washington Post story about Bezos having hired Allen and co was put there by the Bezos people. So if we say that, if we assume that that's right and it being in the Washington Post, again, they've done good reporting, but Bezos owns the paper. So let's, if we assume that's the case, then, then Bezos is, you know, he wants to put pressure on Snyder and put and put pressure on the NFL. So now how do we read that? I would read that as Snyder really doesn't want to sell. And, um, Maybe, maybe the NF, you know, Bezos is pushing the NFL, which he's close to, and he's he gets along well with Goodell. Maybe he wants to push them to, hey, I'm here now, force him to sell. Interesting. That's body language. That's not that that part of it's not knowledge. But yeah, that, that, that's 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 where I, it feels like this is going. I think that that's a really smart theory. You know, in listening to you, it again strikes me that the why behind the commanders being up for sale matters so much. Like, why is Dan Snyder, as that statement from the commanders this past November 2nd put things, considering, quote, potential transactions, end quote, with the team? Did Dan decide to sell because he wanted to sell the team or because he had to sell the team? Uh, The Washington Post last November 17th reported that Dan essentially has to sell the team because it is by 2028 that he has to repay this loan that he took out to buy out uh, his now former disgruntled minority investors, Dwight Shaw, Robert Rothman, and Fred Smith in 2021. In your conversations with people, what have you gleaned regarding the motivation for the commanders being up for sale? I think the best 
the best you got to get inside Dan's head, which is a place maybe none of us want to be. But you have to get inside his head. So I don't know for sure. The best, you know, view I think that, that resonates the most is exactly what you said, but not necessarily about the loan to the NFL, which matters. But I think more. He was under a congressional investigation. I mean, the U.S. House was holding an investigation on him. Um, the allegations uh, that were made about him are pretty darn serious. Um, and that not just the sexual harassment and possible assault, but the idea that he wasn't even paying his tax, his, his gate receipts and taxes. You know, a lot of stuff that could land somebody in jail. So I think he needed to take the heat off. Remember, he was also kind of having a war of words with Jerry Jones. So I, I think he had to take the heat off. And um, I had heard at the time when he hired Bank of America, B of A got like two weeks notice. Like, hey, I'd like to hire you. Usually that's something that's months in the works. So it felt rushed and it felt a little like he felt he had to do it. Um, but then there's always been the suspicion he was doing it to take the heat off. But he didn't really want to sell the team. And now that the Republicans are in charge of the House, the House investigation into him is over. Um, and um, perhaps he set this up and set up a high asking price uh, because he wanted the auction to fail. That That's certainly a theory. Yeah, I've wondered about that. If Dan Snyder set up this impossible scenario of wanting at least $6 billion for the commanders while also barring from the bidding on the commanders, essentially the only guy who can pay $6 billion, Jeff Bezos, so that Dan then could say, hey, I guess I'll have to keep the team. Yes, I think. And, and there's also one thing I didn't report, but I'm aware of is in the auction, he has not given suitors the financial informa- all the financial information they want. He's given them some, but not everything. And um, that's another sign, perhaps, that he doesn't really want to sell, um, unless you go with the theory that maybe he's cooked the books and he doesn't want to show everything to everybody. Do you believe that the NFL wants... Jeff Bezos to buy the commanders from Dan Snyder that if the NFL could script this thing out, the league would script Jeff buying the team from Dan? No, I think that's a definite yes. Now, does that mean that they would hold that they were willing to hold a vote if needed to force this to happen? That I don't know. That's a tough one. But would they like it to happen? No question. Something in your report on Friday evening that I do not think has gotten enough attention is that, quote, a decision on whether Snyder will finally walk away from the team he rooted for as a child is expected by the annual owners meeting that begins March 26th, sources said, end quote. Uh, March 26th, obviously, is not that far away. Pretty close. Yeah. A couple weeks. Yeah. So you think by then we'll know whether Dan's selling or not? I think so, because, because uh, you know, he just asked for final bids, so he knows he's not getting his six. So if he wants, if he's willing to accept five to five and a half, he could do that. If he uh, is going to open this up to Bezos, that would be happening soon. And at the owner's meeting, if he doesn't do either and decides to hold on to the team, well, the owners are definitely going to be asking the question to Dan, And then Goodell's got a decision to make, you know, whether to hold the vote to force a sale. And that might very well happen at the owner's meeting, you know, if he's willing to go there. 
You used the phrase final bids, so we are not anticipating another round of bidding on the commanders. Is that correct? I think no. I think it's either, I, uh, no. I think it's either, you know, one thing that Bezos successfully did, or that story in the Washington Post successfully did, which I would imagine he had something to do with, um, is by it now being known that Bezos wants to be in the process, that's going to make it much harder for Josh Harris, one of the two other suitors, or one of the, the one of the two suitors other than Bezos. He still needs. He's still out there trying to raise co-investment money. Now that's going to be awfully hard. Because if you're a billionaire who's willing to, who was thinking about putting in two or three hundred million to be a minority investor alongside Josh Harris, now you know Bezos is really there. You might not spend the money on a lawyer and the time needed to make that co-investment. So I think that even though it was not Bezos's primary goal, I think it's about him buying the team. Um, some of the collateral damage that he just did to Snyder was he just made it very hard for Josh Harris to put together a viable offer for the team. Very interesting. The machinations of all of this are fascinating. Do you think that it's possible that Jeff Bezos would make a godfather offer to Dan Snyder? That Jeff would offer Dan, who wants at least $6 billion for the commanders, say $7 billion for the team, and dare Dan to say no to an extra billion dollars or more for the sake of Dan's dislike of Jeff? I think it's possible. Well, he hasn't yet, I don't believe. But I, yes, I, I, think that's, I think that's possible. I think, you know, if be- that story would not have come out this week if Bezos didn't really want to buy the team. So, so yes, I think that's possible. The reporting on the sale of the commanders has been wild. It has become impossible for me to ignore how whenever one report on the sale comes out, we inevitably get another report or two or more uh, on the sale of the team coming out. And I'm guessing that that's not coincidence, that the various sides in this saga are putting stuff out there in response to what else is out there. I think you're reading that correctly. So so to give the Washington Post the credit they deserve, in the middle of the week, they were the ones who broke the story that he'd hired Allen and co. So naturally, when somebody reports a good update on a situation like this that many of us are following, we're all going to call around to our sources and find out what's going on. And then other stuff comes out. So um, I'll give credit to the Washington Post for kind of starting this round. And then uh, we took a nice shot on Friday, and then the Athletic moved it a little forward over the weekend. And then the Washington Post came back today saying Tillman Fertitta was the mystery bidder, which I believe they're correct. Um, so, yeah, typically when somebody breaks a nice story, you know, the rest of us, uh, you know, try to find our own angles. Makes sense. Uh, final question. You've covered high-level business for a while. You understand the personalities involved in high-level business, the unpredictable and brazen behavior of Dan Snyder. Look, we here in the Washington, D.C. area are used to that behavior, but specific to that behavior in this sale of the commanders, is that behavior unique or is this just what you get when you're talking about billionaires with big egos exploring a multi-billion dollar transactions? I think this is pretty unique. Um, I think that if we were to compare in New York, we had a sale of the New York Mets a few years ago. And there was a question, would Steve Cohen buy the team or not? And Steve Cohen didn't get along with one of the co-owners of the team. 
Um, and um, it, was, it was a little hard to tell what was going on. But in that situation, the sell side bank, um, interestingly, Allen & Co., um, I think they always were talking to Cohen and kind of were trying to, Steve, tell us where you are. Um, here, my sense is B of A doesn't know what Snyder wants. I, I think it's a real mystery what Snyder wants to do. Again, my best guess is he doesn't want to sell, but could he be playing coy so Bezos makes that $7 billion offer? It's possible. Um, but I, I think this one is, I think this one is a little unique. I, I think that Snyder, I, I think it's hard to read Snyder. And I even think it's hard for his own people to read Snyder. And who knows? Maybe Snyder doesn't even know what he wants to do. Um, and I think for Snyder, the question is, so if we were to, again, make the, the parallel with the Mets situation here in New York, um, at the end of the day, uh, the Mets owners, Fred Wilpon and Saul Katz, wanted to make the most money they could at the end of the day. They didn't like Steve Cohen. They felt Steve Cohen had to toy around with them two years earlier. But at the end of the day, money spoke. I, I'm not as confident here that Dan Snyder's pride isn't going to get in the way. Um, I, I think there is a real possibility that he likes being the owner of the commanders. Um, he doesn't want to give up that power unless he has to. And he really doesn't like Bezos because of the Washington Post coverage of him. Yeah, what you just said about Dan Snyder is so in line with what has been said about Dan for years. It's hard for even his own people to read him. Heck, he himself may not be able to read himself. Business journalist Josh Kosman of the New York Post, he's been doing excellent reporting on the sale of the Commanders. Uh, where the sale will take us, who the heck knows? But Josh, uh, thanks a lot for your time. I really appreciate it. Sure, Al. Thanks, thanks for having me on. All right. Great stuff from Josh Kosman. Uh, if you have like 20 seconds, uh, please consider rating and reviewing this podcast. You want Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated. And you on Apple Podcasts can write a review saying that you like the podcast. The review doesn't have to be long. can be just a sentence or two. Uh, the ratings and the reviews help out the podcast a lot. So thank you very much for doing them. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. 
Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Let us talk college basketball. The regular season is winding down, and Maryland is heating up. Big win for the Turtles on Sunday afternoon. Maryland improved to 20 and 9 overall and 11 and 7 in the Big Ten with a 75 59 win over number 21 Northwestern at Xfinity Center in College Park, Maryland on Sunday afternoon, concluding a tremendous season for the Terrapins in terms of games at home. The Terps won their school record 13th consecutive home Big Ten game. The Terps concluded a 10-0 season in Big Ten home games, and the Terps concluded a 16-1 season in home games. Here was Terps head coach Kevin Willard during his post-game press conference on Sunday afternoon. You know, going 10-0 in this conference at home is... You know, that's pretty impressive for this group. Um, and I just think it shows you how great of a program this is, how great of a fan base it is. Um, I think this, I think the fan base really got behind this group. I think they appreciated how hard they worked, how hard they play. Um, and the students have really turned out and just kind of made this place. I mean, it's, it's, I'd be honest, I just sit back every once in a while and just, and just, and just watch because it's, it's a, it's a fun place to play and a fun place to watch a game. Yeah, one of the best things about this Terps season has been the return of the Terps home court advantage. And another great thing about this Terps season, the extent to which the Terps have defeated ranked teams. Kevin Willard, and this is first season as Terps head coach, now is 5-3 and three in games against Associated Press top 25 teams. Compare that with his uh, predecessor as Terps head coach, Mark Turgeon, the Turge, over his 10-plus seasons as Terps head coach, went just 19-41 and 41 in regular season games against AP Top 25 teams. Turgeon, 19-41. and 41. Willard, 5-3. and three. Kevin Willard this season against AP Top 25 teams has amassed more <laughs> than a quarter of the number of wins that the Turge amassed over his 10-plus seasons as Terps head coach against AP Top 25 teams. And this win over Northwestern on Sunday afternoon ended up being a dominant win. Uh, the game was tied at 41 early in the second half. The Terps then won the rest of the game 
34-18. The Terps defense, again, was great. They held Northwestern to just 59 points, just 5 of 19 on threes, and just 7 free throw attempts. And the Terps held Northwestern's leading scorer, Boo Booey, to just 1 of 5 on threes, 0 of 4 on twos, and 1 of 2 on free throws. He, in 37 minutes as a starter, scored just four points. Now, he did have eight assists versus two turnovers and did have two offensive rebounds, but overall, the Terps did tremendous work on Boo Booey, who is one of the best point guards in the country. Boo Booey in Northwestern's previous game, a 66-62 loss at Illinois this past Thursday night, scored 35 points. Kevin Willard, during his post-game press conference on Sunday afternoon, on the job that his Terps did on Boo Booey. Not Baba Booey, uh, Boo Booey. Well, I mean, I think he had such a he had such a monster game at Illinois. Um, you know, it, we weren't trapping as much in the press, but we wanted to just kind of get the ball out of his hands early, uh, make it hard for him to get it back, um, which I think we did. And... I just think, you know, they run so many dribble handoffs that we took away the dribble handoffs. And I think he's so good at them and he's so good at turning the corner going to his right. Um, Without that in there, I I thought that was part of the reason he struggled. He also played great the other night. And speaking of great, the Terps' three-point shooting on Sunday afternoon was great. Yes, I said the Terps' three-point shooting on Sunday afternoon was great. We this season have not often had nice things to say about the Terps' three-point shooting, but the Terps on Sunday afternoon were really good on threes. The Terps went just 14 of 30 on twos and just 5 of 8 on free throws, but also went a scorching 14 of 22 on threes. Uh, On what was senior day in College Park, a number of Terps seniors and graduate students came through. Charlotte graduate student transfer, Jameer Young, a product of DeMatha Catholic High School in Hyattsville, Maryland, had another good game. He played for 34 minutes as a starter, went 4 of 7 on threes, 3 of 6 on twos, 0 of 1 on free throws. He finished with 18 points, 3 rebounds, and 2 assists versus 1 turnover. Senior Hakeem Hart, 37 minutes as a starter, 2 of 4 on threes, 2 of 4 on twos. He finished with 10 points, 7 assists versus 1 turnover and 5 rebounds. Uh, Georgetown graduate student transfer Don Carey, who went to Frederick Douglass High School in Upper Marlboro, Maryland. He played for 28 minutes as a starter. He went 4 of 7 on threes, 0 of 2 on twos, 1 of 2 on free throws. He finished with 13 points. Also, 6'9 sophomore Julian Reese continued to rise. The rise of Juju continued. Uh, The consensus four-star recruit from St. Francis Academy in Baltimore, Maryland had another good game. Reese played for 33 minutes as a starter. He went 5 of 8 from the field, all twos, 2 of 3 on free throws. He finished with 12 points, 10 rebounds, including four offensive boards, three blocks, and two assists versus two turnovers. And Ian Martinez, he in 15 minutes off the bench, three of three on threes, 0 of one on twos. He finished with nine points and three rebounds. A lot to like with the Terps. Maryland has two regular season games left at Ohio State Wednesday night at seven and at Penn State this Sunday at noon. A lot of good vibes with Maryland basketball right now. Uh, Very few good vibes with Georgetown basketball right now. The Hoyas fell to 7-23 and 
overall and 2-17 and in the Big East with an 88-68 loss to number 20 Providence at Capital One Arena on Sunday afternoon. You know, the Hoyas began the game on a 5-0 run. Uh, they then lost the rest of the game, 88-63. Uh, the Hoyas trailed by at least 10 points for the entire second half. A terrible defense by the Hoyas on Sunday afternoon. The Hoyas allowed Providence to score 88 points to go 10 of 19 on threes and to have 23 assists versus nine turnovers. The Hoyas got ripped by 6'8 redshirt senior Ed Croswell. Uh, he in 34 minutes as a starter, 0 of 1 on threes, 9 of 15 on twos, 7 of 10 on free throws. Croswell finished with 25 points, 13 rebounds, including six offensive boards, six assists versus two turnovers, and three blocks. Also, the Hoyas got ripped by 5'10 graduate student Jared Bynum, who went to my high school, Georgetown Prep High School in Rockville, Maryland. Bynum in 34 minutes as a starter, 6 of 9 on threes, 0 of 3 on twos. He finished with 18 points, 6 assists versus 2 turnovers and 2 steals. Uh, as for the Hoyas offense, Duquesne transfer Primo Spears and Arizona State transfer Jay Heath, uh, they combined for 45 of the Hoyas' 68 points, but also 9 of the Hoyas' 14 turnovers. Spears and Heath that combined 9 of 15 on threes. The rest of the Hoyas, a combined 2 of 13 on threes. Uh, also, Maryland transfer Kudus Wahab did not play due to illness. Uh, the Hoyas' season cannot end soon enough, and the second that the season ends, the Patrick Ewing watch will be on. I can't think that the Hoyas are not going to fire head coach Patrick Ewing, but Georgetown for years has marched to the beat of its own drum. So I don't even think that you can say that it's a certainty that Patrick is going to be fired, even though in just about any other circumstance, Patrick would have already been fired. Uh, Georgetown has just one regular season game left at number 19 Creighton, Wednesday night at 8.30. So Maryland and Georgetown over the weekend played on Sunday afternoon. Virginia and Virginia Tech over the weekend played on Saturday evening, and both the Cavaliers and the Hokies lost. Uh, number six, Virginia fell to 21-6 and overall and 13-5 and in the ACC with a 71-63 loss at North Carolina on Saturday evening. The Cavs are not in a good place right now. They now have a losing streak for just the second time this season, but they're not playing very well because their previous two games prior to this two-game losing streak were close wins over bad teams. February 15th, a three-point win at Louisville, 61-58. Uh, Louisville, with that loss, fell to 1-14 and in the ACC. And February 18th, a two-point win over Notre Dame at John Paul Jones Arena in Charlottesville, Virginia, 57-55. The Cavs had to sweat Notre Dame, missing an attempt at a game-winning three as time expired. Also, the Cavs blew a nine-point first-half lead, and all of this happened against a Notre Dame team that, with this loss, fell to 2-14 and 14 in the ACC. Then, this past Wednesday night, a 15-point loss at Boston College, 63-48. BC came into that game just 7-10 and 10 in the ACC, and now this 8-point loss at North Carolina. And understand, the final score was misleading. The Cavs in the game never held a lead, uh, trailed by as many as 17 points in the first half and trailed by at least 10 points for a good chunk of the second half. Uh, the Cavs' defense in the first half 
was bad. Uh, the Cavs in the first half allowed UNC to score 42 points and to go 9 of 16 on threes, 6 of 10 on twos, and 3 of 3 on free throws. The Cavs in the game got worked by 6'11 Northwestern graduate student transfer Pete Nance. Uh, he is the son of former Phoenix Suns and Cleveland Cavaliers star Larry Nance and the brother of Larry Nance Jr. of the New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, Pete Nance on Saturday evening in 33 minutes, 50 seconds as a starter. Four of four on threes, three of six on twos, four of four on free throws. He finished with 22 points, four blocks, and two assists versus two turnovers. But the Wahoos defense in the second half was better. The number one problem for the Hoos right now is their shooting. It has been abysmal lately. Uh, the Hoos on Saturday evening went just 4-12 on threes, just 23 of 56 on twos. Uh, the Hoos missed a lot of layups and went just 5 of 11 on free throws. Uh, the Hoos three starting guards all had shooting problems to varying degrees for a second consecutive game. Reese Beekman in 36 minutes, 12 seconds as a starter. 0 of 2 on threes, just 4 of 9 on twos, and 0 of 2 on free throws. And he had a game worse plus minus rating of minus 12. Uh, he did finish with 8 points, 6 assists versus no turnovers and 4 rebounds. Uh, Kihei Clark, 33 minutes, 4 seconds as a starter. He went just to 2 of 8 on twos and just 2 of 3 on free throws. He did go 1 of 1 on threes, did finish with 9 points and 5 assists versus one turnover. And Armand Franklin, 30 minutes, 49 seconds as a starter, just five of 12 on twos. He did go one of two on threes, one of one on free throws, did finish with 14 points and four rebounds, including two offensive boards. The biggest bright spot for the Hoos was Jaden Gardner. Uh, he in 36 minutes, 38 seconds as a starter, went nine of 17 from the field, all twos and one of one on free throws. And he finished with 19 points and 12 rebounds, including four offensive boards. But UVA right now is not playing at its best. The idea for a college basketball team in late February, of course, is to be peaking, not fading. Uh, this was UVA head coach Tony Bennett during his post-game press conference on Saturday night. Yeah, well, I thought, um, you know, the way Carolina played in the first half, shooting the ball uh, was tough. It put us in the hole, um, and Nance, you know, was was hitting some shots. I told our guys I appreciated. I thought we fought like crazy in the second half. Played hard in the first half, but really fought in the second half and touched on a, a level of tenacity on the defensive end, um, keeping them off the glass, keeping them out of transition, and you know, limiting the quality looks for the most part that we needed to. Um, and no one's trying to miss a layup or miss a free throw. Um, I thought we ran good, tough, hard offense and got produced pretty, pretty much quality shots. But um, you know, if that would have been if we could have played two halves quality like that, maybe it's different. We didn't, um, but. You know, everybody will look and say, well, you're struggling to score. True, you're missing some layups and, and finishes, but you just keep knocking. And, uh, you know, you try to make little adjustments. And I told the guys there's a lot of basketball left. Uh, playing, obviously, a good, tough team. Next, a quick turnaround. But um, but we'll get after it and, um, you know, keep keep trying to find ways. I, I keep hoping one of these days we're going we're gonna to break out of that little shooting slump. So, and it, it'll happen. But, um, but I credit our guys for how hard they played. And I thought Carolina played uh, – when in desperation mode and they made some tough plays and you know had some fortunate banks go in but um it's a quality team and you can see that well virginia has two regular season games left home to clemson tuesday night at seven and home to louisville this saturday afternoon at two but at least virginia is pretty much a lock to be going to the NCAA tournament. Virginia Tech barring a great run in the ACC tournament almost certainly is not going 
to the NCAA tournament. The Hokies fell to 16 and 13 overall and 6 and 12 in the ACC with an 81-65 loss at Duke on Saturday night. Uh, Tech allowed Duke to begin the game on a 19-5 run and trailed for the rest of the game. Uh, Tech at one point in the second half was down by 25 points at 75-50. The Hokies went 8 of 19 on threes. That's certainly not terrible, but also went just 15 of 38 on twos and went just 11 of 16 on free throws. Uh, Hunter Couture, he played for 38 minutes as a starter, but he scored just six points and he had no assists versus three turnovers. He went 0 of 2 on threes, 2 of 2 on twos and two of two on free throws. The Hokies did get decent games from Wright State graduate student transfer Grant Basile and Sean Padula and got some decent production off the bench from freshman Rodney Rice, the four-star recruit added to Matt the Catholic High School in Hyattsville, Maryland, who has had an injury-plagued season. But this was a disappointing performance from the Hokies in a disappointing season for them. Tech allowed Duke to go 7 of 18 on threes. That's not too bad for Tech, but it also allowed Duke to go 23 of 35 on twos. Duke point guard Jeremy Roach carved up the Hokies. Uh, 34 minutes as a starter, 2 of 4 on threes, 6 and 9 on twos, 1 of 2 on free throws. He finished with 19 points, 11 assists versus three turnovers and five rebounds, including two offensive boards. Virginia Tech has two regular season games left at Louisville Tuesday night at 9 and home to Florida State this Saturday afternoon at 4. Well, the NHL trade deadline is this Friday, March 3rd at 3 p.m. Eastern. Uh, The Caps last Thursday evening made a big trade, traded defenseman Dimitri Orloff and forward Garnett Hathaway to the Boston Bruins as part of a three-team trade with the Minnesota Wild. We shall see how much more trading that we get from the Caps prior to Friday's NHL trade deadline, but it would seem that there's at least a pretty good chance that more selling from the Caps is coming. Two games for the Caps over the weekend. Uh, Saturday afternoon, the Caps did win a 6-3 win over the New York Rangers at Capital One Arena, snapping the Caps' streak of six consecutive regulation losses, the team's worst such streak since October 2003. But then on Sunday afternoon, the Caps got hammered, and not in the good way. Uh, they fell to 29-27-6 with a 7-4 loss at the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, The Caps are an old NHL team, and the Caps looked old in playing the second game of a back-to-back. Winger Marcus Johansson did not play in either game over the weekend due to a non-COVID illness remaining out due to injury for the Caps. War defenseman John Carlson and forwards Anthony Mantha, Connor Brown, and Carl Haglin. A bad Sunday afternoon for Caps goaltender Darcy Kemper. He, in this 7-4 loss at the Sabres, was the Caps starting goaltender for a second consecutive game despite the Caps playing on back-to-back days. And Kemper was not good. He stopped just 14 of the 19 shots on goal that he faced. He got pulled in the second period in favor of Charlie Lindgren, who stopped 16 of the 18 shots on goal that he faced. Uh, Kemper in the 6-3 win over the Rangers on Saturday afternoon stopped 23 of the 26 shots on goal that he faced. Darcy Kemper has not been at his best uh, during this stretch of now seven regulation losses in eight games for the Caps. Uh, It was good to see the Caps 
score some goals over the weekend. The Caps, during their streak of six consecutive regulation losses, totaled a mere 10 goals. Well, the Caps, over their two games over the weekend, totaled 10 goals. Uh, winger Alex Ovechkin had a good weekend. Ovi on Saturday afternoon had two assists and a game-high four hits. And Ovi on Sunday afternoon had a second-period even-strength goal and a team-high seven shots on goal. And his goal was his 40th career regular season goal against the Sabres, making them the ninth different NHL franchise against which the great eight has scored at least 40 career regular season goals. So Ovechkin moved past Marcel Dion for the second most NHL franchises against which a player has scored at least 40 career regular season goals. Phil Esposito is number one with 10 franchises. Uh, Winger TJ Oshie did have a good weekend. Oshie on Saturday afternoon had the Gordie Howe hat trick, a goal, an assist, and a fight. Uh, Oshie actually scored two goals, a first period power play goal and a second period even strength goal. And he had a second period secondary assist. And he had a first period fighting major. And Oshie on Sunday afternoon had a first period even strength goal and a first period secondary assist. Uh, center Evgeny Kuznetsov on Saturday afternoon had a four point game, two even strength goals and two assists, although he did commit two minors. So winger Tom Wilson on Saturday afternoon, a second period even strength goal, a third period secondary assist and three hits, but he also committed three minors. Yeah, the Caps on Saturday afternoon won despite committing seven penalties, six two-minute minors and a five-minute fighting major, but the Caps went four or five on the penalty kill, and the only power play goal that they gave up came on a five-on-three Rangers power play. The Caps actually had a good weekend on special teams. The Caps on Sunday afternoon, three of three on the penalty kill, and the Caps in each game over the weekend, one of two on the power play. The Caps now are six of 17 on the power play over their last six games, but the Caps are not in a great way right now. Uh, they're now three points behind the Pittsburgh Penguins for the Eastern Conference's second and final wildcard spot. Uh, the Caps also are sixth in a tightly compacted Eastern Conference wildcard standings, and we and the Caps are waiting to see who else might be traded away. Uh, the Caps only have one game between now and Friday's NHL trade deadline. The Caps are at the Western Conference Worst Anaheim Ducks Wednesday night at 10. Well, if you care about the Wizards being in the Eastern Conference's play-in tournament for the NBA playoffs, then this past weekend was an especially bad weekend. Now, personally, I do not care about our Wizards being in the Eastern Conference's play-in tournament, uh, although this actually would not be a bad season for the Wizards to have a meaningless playoff appearance because this year is the first year in which the first-round pick that the Wizards traded to the Houston Rockets in the John Wall trade in December 2020 can convey. Remember the terms of that trade. The Wizards dealt Wall and a protected first-round pick to the Rockets for Russell Westbrook. But anyway, Friday night, a 115-109 loss to the New York Knicks at Capital One Arena as the Wizards in their first game in eight days due to the NBA All-Star break blew a 19-point second-quarter lead Sunday afternoon a 102-82 loss at the Chicago Bulls. Uh, the Wizards in the third quarter led by three points at 52-49. They then lost the rest of the game 53-30. 
Uh, the Wizards were without two starters. Chris Tapps Porzingis did not play due to left knee soreness, and Monte Morris did not play due to low back soreness. So the Wizards are 28 and 32. They are 10th in the Eastern Conference, a half game ahead of the Bulls, uh, seed 7 through 10 in the conference, participate in the play-in tournament. The Wizards are six games behind the Knicks for sixth in the East. Uh, defense was the problem for the Wizards in their loss to the Knicks on Friday night. The Wizards got eviscerated by Julius Randle. Uh, Randle, in just 36 minutes, 11 seconds as a starter, scored 46 points. Uh, he went 7-14 on threes, 9-15 on twos, and 7-7 seven seven on free throws. And he had two steals and two assists versus one turnover. The Wizards did hold him to just two rebounds. Uh, the Wizards' offense on Friday night was good, just not good enough. Uh, the Wizards went 19-44 on threes, 20-35 on twos, and 12-12 on free throws. But the Wizards committed 19 turnovers and had just three offensive rebounds to the next 12 and thus just eight second chance points to the next 21. But then offense was the problem for the Wizards in their loss at the Bulls on Sunday afternoon. The Wizards in that game scored just 82 points. Fewest points for the Wizards in a game this regular season. Uh, the Wizards did go 26-48 on twos and did outscore the Bulls in the paint 44-38, but the Wizards also went just 6-28 of 28 on threes and just 12-23 on free throws, and the Wizards committed 16 turnovers, so 35 turnovers for the Wizards over their two games over the weekend. Uh, a bad weekend for Kyle Kuzma. Uh, he and the loss to the Knicks on Friday night in 40 minutes, 52 seconds as a starter went just three of 12 on threes and committed four turnovers. He did go seven of 11 on twos, did finish with 23 points, five rebounds and three assists. But Kuzma in the loss at the Bulls on Sunday afternoon, 38 minutes, 17 seconds as a starter, just one of eight on threes, just three of 10 on twos and just one of two on free throws. He committed three turnovers and he had a game worse plus minus rating of minus 22. Kuzma finished with just 10 points, four rebounds, and three assists. A mixed weekend for Bradley Beal. He and the loss to the Knicks on Friday night did play despite being questionable for the game due to right knee soreness. Uh, 35 minutes, 27 seconds as a starter. Just one of four on threes, and he committed five turnovers, but he did go five of 10 on twos and three of three on free throws and did finish with 16 points, 8 assists, and 2 blocks. Uh, Beal and the loss at the Bulls on Sunday afternoon, 36 minutes, 38 seconds as a starter. 1 of 3 on 3s, just 6 of 14 on 2s, and just 3 of 7 on free throws. He finished with 18 points, 8 assists, versus 3 turnovers, and 7 rebounds. And I mentioned, though, Chris Dabbs Porzingis for the Wizards on Sunday afternoon. He, on Friday night, had an odd game, 35 minutes, 19 seconds as a starter, 5 of 9 on 3s, 0 of 1 on 2s, and 8 of 8 on free throws. He finished with 23 points, 6 rebounds, 3 assists, and 2 blocks. But he did commit 3 turnovers. He did have a game-worse plus-minus rating of minus 16. And he did provide the bulk of his production in the first quarter. For Zingas in a first quarter that the Wizards won, 38-27, played for all 12 minutes, went 5 of 5 on 3s, 0 of 1 on 2s, and 4 of 4 on free throws, and had 19 points and 3 rebounds. The 19 points and 5 made 3s were single quarter regular season career highs. 
for Porzingis, but he over the final three quarters went 0 of 4 on threes and had just four points and three rebounds. Uh, also on Friday night, the Wizards got two really good performances off the bench. Uh, DeLon Wright in 20 minutes, 52 seconds off the bench, 5 of 7 on threes, 0 of 1 on twos. He finished with 15 points, three rebounds, including two of the Wizards' three offensive rebounds, two steals, two blocks, and two assists versus one turnover. And Denny Avdia, 26 minutes, 53 seconds off the bench, 1 of 3 on threes, 4 of 4 on twos. He finished with 11 points, 7 rebounds, 5 assists versus no turnovers, a steal, and a team best tying plus minus rating of plus 9. But Avdia in the loss at the Bulls on Sunday afternoon, 27 minutes, 6 seconds as a starter, 1 of 4 on threes, 1 of 1 on twos, 3 of 4 on free throws. He finished with 8 points, 4 rebounds, 2 assists versus 4 turnovers, and the second worst plus minus rating in the game at minus 16. Next up for the Wizards at the Atlanta Hawks, Tuesday night at 7.30. All right, and one more item before we call it a show. Major League Baseball's exhibition season has begun. Uh, We now have pitch clocks in MLB, and while we only have a sample of a few days of exhibition games, the results are encouraging. Uh, The Nationals over the weekend played three Grapefruit League games. The times of those games, two hours, 26 minutes, two hours, seven minutes, two hours, 28 minutes. Uh, The Orioles over the weekend played two Grapefruit League games. The times of those games, two hours, 54 minutes, two hours, 46 minutes. All five games under three hours. Very good news. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tuesday show, episode 517. We'll have plenty for you on the commanders and more. Have a great rest of your Monday, and I'll talk to you on Tuesday. Position flex. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.